When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 434 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, and joining me again is none other than the purist, a.k.a. Jaleel, on here. And the purist, Jaleel, I did kind of sprinkle in my five headlines the last two matches since I we kind of had this booked, that it was going to be somebody to talk about certain topics. I'm going to tell you, YouTube is all over you. I had multiple people guess that, whoa, the purist is coming back and making another return. So I think I think they're on to you. Yeah, I've been unmasked in that sense, I suppose. But thanks for having me, Dan. It's uh, it's always good to be part of the show. So thank you for having me back. Yeah, I mean, I was all excited to talk about certain things, like your your midfield analysis and have Biscuits incorporated in that. But of course, the injury to Biscuits throws all that into whack. Fortunately, you also did a video individually on Rafinha. I'm going to put both those in the description or the show notes, wherever you find it, either right on YouTube or audio. So make sure you watch those videos, but you can watch those after we also get into a lot of those topics here today. But before we get into the midfield or Rafinha or any of that, to discuss Barcelona's 3-0 win over Sevilla yesterday, the first thing you have to do is kind of go for a little bit of a victory lap and look at the La Liga standings. Because Barcelona are now eight points clear because Real Madrid failed to beat Mallorca earlier in the day. Mallorca won nothing. Marco Asensio also missed a PK. And for Barcelona... I mean, this is this is big news. I mean, history, I'm not jinxing it because history is history. So I'm just giving you the history. I'm giving you the fact and do with it what you will. But Barcelona has never wasted an eight-point advantage. As we always say over and over and over again, when Barcelona is the best team in the Champions League, they always put themselves in a really good spot to win the Champions League. When the best team in the Liga, they put themselves in a good spot to win the Liga. 
And it seems like they never back their way into any of those titles. They always have to kind of be the best and be playing the best, have the best form and all those things. And the only team that's ever even wasted an eight-point advantage was one time ever in La Liga, and it was Real Madrid, who in 2003-04 were up by eight points on Valencia. And then Valencia did what I think modern fans don't understand Valencia could do, and that is come all the way back and win that title. And, you know, it made me sad for Valencia fans. And then yesterday, of course, made me sad for, sad for Sevilla fans. Both of those teams in the bottom six in the Liga, flirting with relegation. But still, for Barcelona yesterday, you have only the opponent in front of you, and that is Sevilla at home, a team that you have not lost to since 2015. So you have to go out and take care of business. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's fair to say that right now, Barcelona are the best team in La Liga. That can change from, from one week to another, to be fair. Um, and, you know, I think earlier in the season, it was it seemed pretty clear, I mean, after the first La Liga uh, Clasico, that, um, I mean, I said in, in my analysis of that game that Real Madrid just have a, a higher quality, more mature outfit. And at that point, it seemed very clear that that was the case. Fast forward to now, and it seems completely flipped on its head. I mean, Real Madrid are clearly still the more mature outfit, but when it comes to quality, you're looking at that Barca team now, and it looks extremely dangerous and consistent. And uh, that is what is certainly exciting for Barca fans. And I think it will take a pretty significant drop-off in form from now on. Some, a continuation of poor injury luck. And, and, you know, Real Madrid getting back to their top, top form, which seems unlikely for this turnaround. But all of those are possible. So it's definitely not time to roll out the red carpet just yet. But certainly Xavi and the team have, have turned things around in the sense that the things that we that looks promising, that looks like they could come to fruition and the team that could exist here is now starting to actually present itself. And that's that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, we talk a lot about, about the variance of the course of a season and things kind of evening themselves out. So the one nothings, the three straight one nothings, and the two one in the last match against Real Betis, there is all these circumstances where Barcelona in those games don't wind up getting the important goal or they accidentally let one in. But what I will say is this season, it does seem like the ones that didn't go in in the past years went in, like even Alba's goal. The way it bounced over Bono was, yeah, it was a good finish. Of course, the buildup was awesome. Rafinha... Kessie, no doubt about any of that. But then when the, just the way Alba hit it, he hit it, he aimed it, and it bounced in the, in the best way to make that game one nothing. And as you know, once that game was one nothing, it was over. And it, not even to end one nothing, but that is when Sevilla had opened up. But if that goal doesn't happen and you have to wait until the 88th minute, right, or the 90th minute for that goal, the one nothing, then maybe it doesn't happen. On the other side, though, not to say that Barcelona never going to concede again, but they've conceded just seven goals in the Liga three of which came in El Clasico, as we mentioned, they're an entirely different team as they, than they were then. So really just four non-Real Madrid goals outside of that one match. Yesterday, Sevilla only had one shot on target. And to say, and I kind of looked down and didn't see it. And it felt like, you know, when you see something on social media before you even see it in person, it seemed like that header was a more difficult save than it was. Then I watched it again. I'm like, oh no, like he had that handle. Joseph had a really easy day, and you look across all the different rating systems or whatever, and he's like, oh, he had a poor day. No, he didn't. He just didn't do anything. He had nothing to do all day, which is great. And as I talked about Araujo's passing last week, I feel like every show I do bring up the fact that Christensen, not only is good, is fine, but is so well-rounded and complimentary to Araujo and, and Kunde. I mean, 
The fact is that all of them, all three of them, if Araujo's continuing to improve his dribbling and his, his passing, they're all three press resistant. They can all dribble their way out of trouble. They all have speed to track back to cut out counterattacks. And I think most impressively, even yesterday against Sevilla, you wouldn't have noticed that Kunde was caught out of position twice. You wouldn't have noticed that Araujo slipped on one of those counterattacks. And you would have noticed that Christensen had lost the ball in a bad pass because Frankie de Young and Christensen combined to immediately get it back. And all three of them allow the other two to, to ha- basically have this, this error, this runway that, I mean, looking at the PK Eric Garcia tandem with Alba to the left and take your pick on the right, they didn't have any error. It was the, the, the room for error was so small. And so that's why this team and this back line is, is so built to win the Liga no matter what. I mean, I think European competition is going to come down to the Dembele injury and the people we're about to talk to who come in for Busquets and Dembele. But for Barcelona to be the first team in the Liga history to register 14 wins with a clean sheet in their first 20 games of a season, Mats and that being Ter Stegen saved them for about three months there. And as Araujo was out, Christensen was out, Koundé wasn't fit, and Ter Stegen stood in his head. And very much like I had said, Lewandowski, who doesn't look himself right now, Lewandowski saved Barca in two or three games in the first half of that season. And Ter Stegen did the same. And now it seems like everybody's healthy, generally, at least on the back line. And they're all returning the favor because that back line looks completely solid. And you still have informed Ter Stegen behind in case something really does go wrong. And that is why I have, you know, I'm not afraid to jinx Barcelona that didn't say about an advantage in the league or anything like that, because this is the kind of defense that does not lose an eight, uh, does not lose an eight point lead in the league. Yeah, you'd think so. And I mean, you can look at all three of those guys you've just mentioned and any team would be would be really happy to have one of them and say, oh, man, thank goodness we've got this guy who always bails us out. And to have all three of them, like you mentioned, is, is really impressive. But I mean, you look at the defensive unit as a whole in terms of the, the system, not just the back line into Stegen, a big reason why Barca don't concede goals is because they have so much of the ball and they have so much of the ball in the opponent's third. And, you know, way that the team is set up to counter-press, the counter-pressing, like you just mentioned, with Christensen's error and Frankie Young is immediately there to press and win it back. So much of that is happening and so much of that is happening in the final third that it's it's pretty rare that the opponents have good chances against Barcelona. They do, obviously, on occasion, and that's when the back line comes into play and the stadium comes into play. But generally, you know, the system as a whole is working to, to really prevent good goal scoring opportunities and that's that's that for me is even even better news than having great defenders because if you're conceding fewer chances that's why during that period when players were injured that's why the league still didn't go down the drain because that system was in place and it's still it's still operating so yeah pretty good news on the defensive front well i think it's interesting too because now xavi through 46 league games this is the big sample size this is the number that came out yesterday luis enrique was the best through 46 games in Liga history for Barcelona, 112 points and a plus 95 goal differential. He just had guys scoring at will. He also had a, def- uh, a defense that could figure a few things out. Again, that was still kind of, they, they still had some legends in there who were at the peak of their powers. And then Guardiola was 109 points in 46 Liga matches and a plus 89. Again, he had an inform, uh, not even in his peak, but already winning Ballon d'Ors and 22 years old in, in Lino Messi in that, in, in that time. And then Xavi at 109 points as well, just like Guardiola in 46 league matches, but he as a plus 61. And I think that plus 61 is really telling that Xavi has kind of played. I mean, we're kind of seeing what Xavi ball is. Xavi ball is not to say as hard hitting, but 
as Lewandowski is 35 years old, Xavi's ball doesn't really, I mean, the first half of it also had certain players like Abde and, and Jukla and, and the like in the Liga. But Xavi ball doesn't necessarily have, they, they have a few four nothings as they had last January. But on average, I think you're going to expect Xavi ball to be two nothing more than you are to be four two, right? Like if, if you have to pick one of those two score lines, and I think 46 Liga matches is kind of a big enough sample size to say, I think Xavi's kind of enacting what his plan is or what he believes modern football to be. And the question always becomes Sevilla yesterday. I mean, we were going to talk about Sevilla and, and Rafinha and that in a second, but when it comes to the big picture stuff, I, I, we're going to do the Europa League preview again later next week. But all those questions from the Liga and Xavi and the way that Barca defend and all those things becomes, can they do that when the competition gets better? Can you do that when now it's Marcus Rashford sure. instead of, no offense, but Brian Heal in the second half, right? Like, what do you do in that circumstance? Yeah, yeah. And then it, then it does become down to the quality of the players rather than the system because, you know, the, you're going to get Kunde in a 1v1 with Rashford, for example. You know, that, it's at that point where those quality signings and the, the, the extra level of having those players is important, which is why possibly... Barca struggled in the Champions League without, you know, those those quality defensive players. So those games against those opposition tend to come down to those kind of moments. And, you know, we will see if this current crop has the quality to deal with it. In terms of the Europa League um, against Man United, I think the quality is there to definitely deal with the quality that, that United have um, in terms of that specific game. But more generally, let's not forget that this team, while young, is packed with immense quality. Um, you know, Pedri is absolutely out of this world. Gavi is pretty damn good as well. Frankie De Jong, Dembele, Koundé, uh, Christensen, Araujo. It's just, it's, it is stacked with quality. You can't deny that. And yeah, it will, it will tell uh, in those bigger games, which, which I'm certainly looking forward to seeing. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, 
and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I'll let you pick what we talk about next because I think a, a lot of those games, I mean, with what we're now seeing from even Balde, I would consider Balde's last two or three months pretty much to be consistent. I, I would call it almost consistent that you generally understand what you're going to get from Balde from game to game. Uh, yeah, there are mistakes that happen. The own goal from, from Kunde in the last matchup, but I think you, you kind of know what you're going to get. And the guys who are the variables, that being Ansu, who we don't need to talk about today, Ferran Torres, I mean, I think you kind of put him almost out of the rotation at this point. You, you can't really rely on what you're going to get from him. But the big two names that, looking at the next now three weeks now, are Dembele, uh, not Dembele, sorry, it's Dembele's replacement in Rafinha, and it's, it's Kessie. So I ask you, Jaleel, where do you want to start here? Do you want to do Rafinha? Because you've done, again, a video on him. Or do you want to jump into the midfield? That's kind of like the deep end. The, the, the midfield Kessie thing is like the deep end of the pool. I think Rafinha, you wade your, your feet in and we can get into it, but yeah, do you want to start with Rafinha or do you want to jump right in? Yeah, there? we can go with Rafinha to stop. Yeah, so yesterday, a goal, an assist, and a pre-assist. Uh, yeah, there's, again, credit to go around. Alba picked up an assist. That, that was a nice assist. Alba had to score the goal. And a beautiful setup by De Young as well, by the way, on the finish from Rafinha. Now Rafinha with three goals and four assists in 2023. That is the most goal contributions of any player. I don't care who it is. Vinny Jr., Lewandowski, Demo, whoever it is. Most goal contribution to 23 in all competitions among players in the Liga. And you also saw the big applause from the Camp Nou from Alba and Rafinha. And I think you and I are on the same page a bit too much. I watched Rafinha video. I've, I've been saying a lot of the same stuff on the podcast where if you viewed him, and when I brought on a, a Oscar, uh, who's a Leeds United and, and Kule himself, when we previewed Rafinha, I tried to get people to understand. I tried to, I tried to, Julio. I did. I, I tried to get people to understand that if you view Rafinha as this kind of, you know, Big moment, can get the assist, can get the goal, inverted winger, then you were going to be okay with what you're getting because he doesn't do everything all the time in a way that Xavi would want. He's not going to be on the touchline, which means, as you kind of mentioned too, he fundamentally does not fit in Xavi's system, if you will, because he, that right winger has got to be wide. That right interior, as we'll talk about, is the connector between the numerical overloads on the left 
and that right winger who's supposed to be, again, out wide going to 1v1 situations, which is antithetical to what Rafinha provides you. So as I kind of told people too, you've got to be patient and wait with Rafinha because it's going to take him, especially him, time to figure out how he can fit in a system that it doesn't belong or he doesn't belong in that system if they're going to continue to so heavily rely on the skill and technique and abilities of Dembele to break open matches. And, you know, you kind of said the same thing too. Yeah, I mean, the thing that is twofold really with Rafinha. The first is about the pure positioning aspect of it and the fact that he would prefer to play more inside and be able to, you know, play those right-to-left passes into the, the fullback, sort of the Messi-esque passes. Um, but there is a sort of, uh, I don't know, role-specific issue with it as well. Um, and it kind of, the issue kind of stems from the comparison with Dembele because of how frequently Barca looked to that right winger as their destructive force in the final third. So the passing combinations happen, you know, the space is created on the right, right winger receives it, and then they're the ones then that has to then make something happen. You know, decisive pass, dribble past the player, do something special to create a goal. And because Dembele is so good at that, abnormally good, really, when you look at, you know, world football and the quality of wingers and how Dembele can beat a man on either foot or, you know, completely blister them for pace or even play, you know, a nice a nice through ball into the box or something. Dembele is so incredibly effective at doing that that when Rafinha is not quite as good or, you know, can't beat two men if he's, you know, two against one or doesn't quite find the right ball into the box, he looks inferior um, in terms of that pure final moment of, I've got space, okay, now I have to do something special. And he is inferior in, in that moment, or at least he's less consistent. He certainly has the quality to produce in that moment, um, and that's essentially what we're seeing, is that Barca creates so much uh, opportunity for that player uh, and his technique is not consistent but effective enough that he can produce at once every six seven attempts that eventually he he is actually going to get an assist or a goal or, or whatever and you saw that specifically with the assist against Sevilla for uh, Gabby where you know he's been trying to whip this ball into the box six, seven, eight times previously in the game, and then the one time it works out, it looks brilliant. And that is the frustrating thing. He's not going to provide the consistency of end products that Dembele is. He's not going to provide the variety of end products as well in terms of the dribbling and the crossing or and the through balls. But what he does have is a devastating final ball every so often, um, or a devastating shot every so often. And for a team like Barca, specifically in the games against low blocks where you've got a lot of the ball and you're having a lot of opportunities to create. In that context, he can produce and he is producing and the numbers don't lie about that. And we do know one of the ways that to get after that medium block or low block that Sevilla was playing, the tactical switch, again, the question is, can you do it against other opponents? But it seemed like Xavi, very much on purpose, decided to tell Kunde and I believe it would have been De Jong and Pedri coming over, hey, you need to hoof that ball a little bit over the top more to Rafinha, where, well, he doesn't have the just out-and-out speed with the ball, especially, that Dembele has. Rafinha has really good timing, better, I think, than Dembele on that offside trap. So if you allow Rafinha to run into that space and kind of get that full head of steam, 
then, I mean, you did see in that second half the best of Rafinha, where he didn't have to dribble himself into advantageous positions. He found the ball there because his opponents, uh, his teammates rather, delivered good balls and his opponents were not prepared. And those fullbacks just got caught out over and over and over again for, for Sevilla. Uh, so I think that's, that is a skill that Rafinha has. And my only concern about that is, again, once you have a, we'll say, a, a peak left back or a left back that is prepared and ready to deal with that, that c- kind of does lose the way that you freed up or the, the plan B option for Rafinha as to how to get him time and space and open. So I just, I don't know how sustain, sustainable that kind of thing is, but it certainly is something that that's the unfortunate thing, right? About Barcelona when they're just crossing, you're getting a sense that they don't have any ideas left, but it seemed like even yesterday, you know, Gabi, I think is crossing and improving ever so slightly, but I also think that it wasn't just the, okay, Gabi's just going to throw these into the box, Lewandowski get to it or, or Kessie especially make some kind of run in and get your head on it. I think the variety of how Barcelona was trying to attack that medium and low block. I think that is what I think a lot of Kool-Aid want to see. But again, the question continues to always be Julio is that, is that skill adaptable to better competition, if you will? Yeah. It's a really interesting point you make about Rafinha's running power, because that is true. And that is definitely an advantage over Dembele. And that was kind of, typical of Barca's approach in that second half against Sevilla, which will sort of lead on to the question you just asked me. Javi very much said, okay, rather than trying to intricate pass our way through this, we're going to be a bit more direct, but but like you said, in a more considered way. So it wasn't just throwing balls into the box. It was timing of run on the blind side of the, the fullback. Um, that worked for Rafinha's goal when... Frankie de Jong played the ball into Jordi Alba and he then crossed for Rafinha. Um, it worked for Pedri uh, floating it over to Rafinha at the back post and he, he should have done better uh, in that uh, moment. And that was very much a uh, calculated move from Xavi by putting de Jong and Pedri in that double pivot versus two most creative passes um, from deep outside of Rafinha in order to find those runners into the box as a different solution to the low box block problem rather than you know the the typical pass and move rotation on the flanks which was really was really good to see and I think having that option will be very beneficial against higher quality sides however higher quality sides probably aren't going to play the way that Sevilla played in that game so you know United's coming up they've played pretty consistently a, a sort of 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 mid block against Arsenal against Man City I'd expect a similar situation against Barca so sort of how Bayern played against Barca with you know mm-hmm. very compact um the line is still high but the, it's not a super high press so it's very compact in the middle of the pitch that kind of strategy of you know getting the runners in behind is going to be less effective against that because you know there's less there's going to be less time on the ball for the players to pick up and, and play a pass basically so for the, for these kind of games very useful that those those different approaches are being developed but for the bigger games it's unlikely that that's going to be uh, be uh, relevant it would have been useful against inter though and i, I do think that mm-hmm. the tactics yeah could have well that, that happened a long time ago anyway so we won't wrap well exactly exactly that i think the 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 barcelona especially i think it's perfect transitions into the midfield how we talk about how the midfield helps to attack a medium and low block particularly the way sevilla was sitting in in that beginning of the first half or sorry beginning of the second half and the end of the first half uh, especially in the first half when Barcelona had what, 90% possession for 25 minutes, which 
I, I mean, I don't know how often that happens where you get a 25 minute stretch where Barcelona really is on the front foot. But I think, again, I think it's a good transition to talk about the midfield because yesterday, I don't know, hot take here. I know people are going to look at the Frank Kessie performance and try to extrapolate exactly what we're going to get from it. You know, as, as I said in the five headlines yesterday, there's Cadiz, Hadafe, and Elche, which I do say that I, I fight for the Liga the best I can, but don't watch Cadiz, Hadafe, and Elche, just especially Elche. Don't watch Elche this year. Like, it, it's okay. You can miss those games. But then Espanyol, Sevilla, and Valencia are the three teams above that. And because Valencia really is, like, Peter Lim is trying his best to destroy the club, but they're a mixed bag. Like, sometimes they come out with it. Sevilla, clearly, even yesterday, they were trying to get just a point at the Camp No, but against sides that they should be taking points off. There's something just very chaotic about Sevilla. So it's still soon to those games. And then Espanyol, you can hate watch them. But Espanyol, like, there's a weird thing where they just feel like they have too much quality and Josuelo can hit the back of the net a bit too often for them to stink as much as they do. So Sevilla and Valencia and Espanyol, I think those being in the three spots above relegation tell you that anything kind of can happen in the Liga outside of almost, we'll say, the top two. But hey, Mallorca just took the scalp of Real Madrid because I think any of the top 10 can beat each other, with the exception of, I think, Barcelona, actually, at the, at, at the present moment. But everybody else, even Real Sociedad, taking their L's this weekend. So it's kind of like anything can happen. And you are going to expect throughout the second half of this year, knowing that Barcelona's found it out and figured it out. And great point on Inter Milan, too, that, boy, I would love not only for Araujo to be healthy, that would be wishlist number one, but to go back in time and have Xavi say, hey, this is my midfield setup. This is what I want to do. So this is the point where, again, I tell people, how about this? Why don't you go down the show notes first, watch his YouTube video, then come back because I'm going to be referencing like crazy and blowing it all up. It, my, in my defense, it has been out for what? Almost two weeks. So I, I think people really already need to have seen it <laughs> because we're going to blow up some of that here. Because when Busquets goes down and, and it cannot, and we're, in, we're in the year of our Lord 2023 and we're saying this, that when Busquets went down, you went, okay, so now Xavi's system is going to have to radically change. But not because it's built around Busquets, but because each midfielder in that midfield four to get everybody to play together, it all makes a lot of sense. You have, as you say, the pivot in Busquets, the controller in De Young, and of course, I'm going to rely on you a lot to like really explain and flesh out these roles. But the pivot in Busquets, the controller in De Young, the inside forward in Gabi, and the right interior in Pedri. Now, what happens is against Sevilla, Kessie comes on for Busquets, and that throws everything out of whack. Because instead of building up in that three, two, five. I mean, you could call it a four one, but really it's a five. When you build up in that way and then switch along those roles, it does mean that you're taking the players that were fitting those profile of those roles and putting them in different spots. Because immediately the, the answer was of course to put Pedri as the pivot. And then Kessie becomes right interior because Kessie is not a pivot. Again, which is counterintuitive to what people believed when Kessie was coming and he was he yes he had played in a double pivot at at, at, at AC Milan, but that system that they had, that being AC Milan, it's different than the way that Barcelona play. And so with Kessie, I think people, of course, are getting quite frustrated in that first half. When he is not making runs, then Barcelona is going to struggle against a low block. When you're, when you're basically sitting with a zero and he's not being just completely forceful and mobile up in that, that, that box, it, it's, just, it's not happening. And Barcelona can get really clogged moving side to side because you do not have Pedri's ball retention and you do not have Pedri and De Young driving the way that they do when Busquets is covering them because Pedri is not Busquets to, to be asking him to do that controller role. And so De Jong doesn't have the same space and time to drive. And the same thing where if you don't have Pedri as your right interior, Cassier doesn't have the final ball that Pedri does. He just, he, he does not have that, he, especially the diagonal balls. He might have some, as we saw with the assist, even he does the quality going vertically, but it's that diagonal and horizontal quality that Pedri has that just 
you're missing that. And, you know, we even saw with the, with the assist, it can be frustrating because now he's got three assists in his last 150 minutes of play with Barcelona. That's an assist for Kessie every 50 minutes on average. Plus, he scored a goal in that time, too. So very much like Rafinha, I know nobody wants to admit it, but in the time he's been on the field, he is a positive impact with goal contributions. But because he is so far behind the player that he's having to replace, that being Busquets, which is not a like-for-like replacement, and Rafinha for Dembele, because they are not up to those levels, if you will, it's an immediately seen as a disappointment. And I, I think in the case of Kessie in particular, this low block thing, and you can kind of walk me through it, I, I does, does Xavi have to, to even change the system, or does he have to consider going back to a 4-3-3 with De Young and Pedri or Gabi in a, we'll say, that really just Manchester United we're looking for? Because I think these four in this system, like, is it going to be a little messy? Are, things aren't going to work out? Sure. But you can survive the Liga matches. You can win one nothing, As you saw with Kessie, you can beat almost any team in the Liga 2 nothing with him as that right interior. But when it comes to Manchester United, do you really just switch this whole system? Because as you talked about with Inter Milan, there was Barcelona at against Inter Milan or at that point of the season. And then there's this system where Xavi said, okay, this is my goal at 11. This is the system I'm playing. This is what I trust. We're doing a 3-2-5. Everybody, like whether it's a team that can attack us like Real Sociedad and Real Betis, or it's a team that's going to sit back. This is a system that's going to face, that can, that can change and, and fight off any kind of opponent. I know I threw a lot out you there, but I'm, I'm giving you the runway. Okay. Like your video, your video was almost 15 minutes, so yeah. take your time. Yeah, I think Xavi does have to consider the type of opponent now without that uh, gala four-man midfield in place. Um, I think that system with those four players, Busquets, Dion, Pedri and Gavi, all in the roles that, that suited them, that, that I explained in that video that you referenced, have solutions to most problems because they have such high quality the fluidity between positions is so good, and so that wouldn't have been an issue whether you're playing a low block or a, a medium or whatever kind of block you want, essentially. Um, however, that said, Kessier did offer quite a good solution against a low block, like we just mentioned, with Pedri and De Jong um, behind the ball, you know, as as creative uh, passes into the box. When you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of the ball in that situation. If you don't want to be playing those intricate combination uh, uh, moves, which is very difficult when the defensive line and midfield are so close together, then having an extra presence like Kessier is very useful. And potentially, if that game had been nil-nil up until you know 80 minutes and Busquets hadn't been injured, uh, Javi might have brought Kessier on anyway to do the job that he did. So it is a decent solution against low blocks. However... If you look at more of a you know compact mid-block kind of situation, the whole dynamic of the game shifts quite significantly. You're much less frequently in your opposition final third um, or or near the box essentially. So if you look at you know like I just said the second Bayern game for example, a lot of the game is about build up and trying to breach that compact mid-block, and then you enter the space in the final third and you have to attack it. Kessier would be, in my opinion, from what I've seen of him now, much less useful as a right interior in that kind of situation because um, he's not anywhere near as comfortable between the lines uh, or under pressure as Pedri. Pedri essentially becomes a number 10 at that point when you know the build-up is happening on the left. Um, he is given freedom to become an extra man. He is off, very often between the lines. His ball reception is incredible on either foot he can shift away from the defender and then find a pass Kessie just isn't doing any of that um, I'm actually 
working on a Casio video right now, which at time of recording this podcast should be out tomorrow. <laughs> so I'll be talking about a lot of this stuff then. But the essentially, he's he's just much poorer as a creative. Te- I mean, he isn't a ten. What he is is a the way Xavi is using him is a second striker, effectively a box presence. And if you're not going to be in the box often against more of a mid block team, then his skill set or lack thereof in terms of his creative presence and, and you know quality between the lines and, and progressive passing is is probably going to hold him back too much um, for it to for him to be valuable in that kind of setup. We've sort of addressed why he doesn't really work as a pivot because, well, I mean, he's not reliable enough <laughs> on the ball, essentially. Yeah. His first touch is clunky and, um, and so on. Uh, as a controller, you know, the guy to the left of the pivot, the more progressive guy, the, the, the role that De Jong has been playing, he's not progressive enough, anywhere near progressive enough, Kessier. He makes very few progressive passes. He's almost always playing the safe ball. Nor is he progressive in terms of carries. So, now you're looking at it and thinking, well, maybe it's best that he actually doesn't play. We get Gabby back into midfield as a more quality, uh, either controller or a 10 between the lines, and then get either Fran or Ansu back on the, the wing to have for a bit yeah. more penetration. That is going to be the big debate for Xavi in the United game. Because, I mean, I, I, I haven't studied United properly yet, so I'm not entirely sure about the mechanisms of their defence and whether Kessier would be useful, but purely looking at it from a, a general perspective of they're probably going to play a compact mid-block, whilst they probably aren't going to have a lot of time in the final third, it's unlikely for me that Kessier becomes the reliable right interior that's also going to have to be very um, integral to build-up as well. Don't forget that. So that wasn't an issue against Sevilla or against a low block. You don't have to worry about build-up. You're already in the final third. Um, mm-hmm. But that becomes then an issue against a more aggressive team. So... Long story short, I think it's definitely questionable whether Kessier has the quality to translate this performance against Sevilla into a broader, more well-rounded performance against a more aggressive side. Um, and at that point, Xavi has to think, well, maybe I go back to the to the previous system of, of playing a proper forward on the left and get Gavi back into midfield. Well, I think it it is a positive sign. I think what I'm positive about after yesterday's performance against Sevilla, and yes, Sevilla did... They just turned over and died. That's true. But the fact that De Jong and Pedri and Gabi were asked then to do different things once Kessie came on the field, but the way they adapted in, in really positive ways. I mean, I thought De Jong was excellent. I, people disagreed with me. I didn't think he was so great earlier in the week against Real Betis. And people kind of let me hear that they thought he was great. But this time around, I think De Jong was great against Sevilla yesterday. I mean, he was really important to not only build up, but he was very comfortable stepping in, being less progressive with the ball, not dribbling as much, being patient. And his decision-making, as we've kind of been talking about him under Xavi for this whole time, if his decision-making ever kind of figured out and it didn't feel like everything is chaos, like the fact that he goes in an opponent because he can dribble, because he can pass, he seems to be, we're talking specifically when Barcelona has the ball, which they did for, again, like 70-plus percent of the time yesterday. When Barca has the ball, it's a chaotic good. And now it feels like under Xavi, he really has figured it out that I, I know it seems like chaos, but I think they, that being De Young and Xavi, have a good understanding of here's when I do this, here's the triggers to that, here's when I do this, here's the triggers to that. I, and then playing kind of within himself that way. I also think that Pedri has really, really helped in that regard because Pedri mm. is such an intelligent footballer positionally. 
Dion can effectively break out from any position, whether he's a pivot or he's, you know, as a controller. He can he can break forward, he can drift across, he can do whatever, and Pedri picks it up. So you saw against Sevilla, you know, they were both they were essentially side by side for a lot of the second half, but they're constantly rotating. And having a player like Pedri next to Dion, whether Busquets is there or not, has really freed him up, in my opinion. And the two of them create such a well-balanced, high-quality, control-heavy um, midfield that it's it's a really, really effective partnership. And that's why it's such a shame in some ways that you know Busquets is out, um, because that reduces the breadth of, of Frankie's potential movement, which is a shame. Yeah. He's very effective breaking lines in terms of his runs as well, his movement. But even restricted, like he said, against Sevilla, restricted positionally, he's he's he is he's found a balance in his own game that is is that makes him look like the player that he should be, because technically he has ridiculous quality. Um, and yeah, I'm really enjoying what Frankie Dion is doing at the moment as well. Yes, I'm positive that Frankie and Pedri and Gabi were all excellent yesterday, even after losing Busquets. That they they figured out a way to incorporate Kessier into that midfield. So there is this idea that if Kessier is the one that you need to rise to the occasion and you need to get him where he needs to do, it needs to be like, like we just talked about his profile. You cannot change who a player is radically in two or three weeks, but there is some kind of solidity that could be found. Yeah, maybe he doesn't start. Maybe you do start Ansu or Ferran Torres, because I think it is a lot easier to ask of Ferran and Ansu who have things that we know that they can do, but they aren't necessarily doing them right now. But you say, hey, this is what we do need you to do. Please, if you can figure this out, we're going to win this game. As opposed to asking Kessie to be someone else, right? I think that's really what you're asking. Yeah, the, there is that. But then on the flip side, you know, what Xavi's been saying a lot recently and, and what we're seeing, sort of what you mentioned earlier about, you know, there was a period last season where Barca were scoring a lot of goals and there were a lot of high, you know, heavy score lines. You know, 4-0, 3-0, 4-2 against Atletico, was it? It was yep. a bit. It did feel a bit basketball esque from from Javi Ball. It's becoming gradually more control heavy, and that shift to playing four midfielders and specifically playing Gabi instead of Ferran or Ansu is heavily linked to the lack of uh, dispossessions that Gabi offers <laughs> compared to Ansu or Ferran, who who actually yeah. lose the ball quite a lot, and that is detrimental to the you know control-heavy style that this team is moving towards. So looking at, looking at it through that lens, maybe Xavi says, OK, actually, I would rather gamble on Kessier in midfield for the sake of having Gavi on the left, which gives us a lot better ball retention in that area of the pitch. So it's- Well, yeah, I mean, you had the left-back spot to that too, that Alba and Balde are better... And they figured it all out with Gabi as that inside forward. Like that is figured out and fortified in a way that you're right for Farron and Ansu because of the way in which they lose the ball. And especially with Ansu, unfortunately, the positions in which he's losing the ball, if you look at that heat map, that that left back, whether it is Alba or whether it is Balde, must defend and must set themselves up in the rest defense to defend for the anticipation of those two losing the ball in a way that Gabi, the position in which he loses the ball, again, is usually a little bit farther inside when he's going to make the final move. And the one time this week that Gabi lost the ball in a pretty much bad spot, Christensen got on his horse and it became a, a viral meme. You know what I mean? Because 
the one time that Gabi loses it in a spot when he shouldn't, the whole back line, including De Young and Busquets, bust all the way back, and and it winds up being a good moment as opposed to a, a negative moment. But you're right. I think the where they lose those players lose the ball again. You also lose something because we've seen against Real Betis with Balde, who I mean again was excellent against Real Betis, man of the match for me. And then you have Alba yesterday against Sevilla, showing that he still has plenty of quality, especially in Barcelona at 90 percent possession. And you're not asking Alba to defend at all. That's a great circumstance for Alba to be in. But again, I do also think Gabi as that inside forward with his work rate, as you mentioned, like Gabi's positioning is so essential horizontally as much as vertically. Like we keep talking about De Young and Pedri and their verticality and how their skill sets do allow Barcelona in buildup where they already have buildup. We're getting the ball back, ball retrieval, all those things. Pedri and De Young are so essential that. But I mean, I've been so happy to see and Gabi, especially again, when Kessie came on, there was this idea that, okay, Gabi just can be pushed to the left wing and he's going to be. That, that was my concern. When that happened, I was like, okay, Gabi's now just a left winger in more of a 4-3-3 kind of setup, and he's going to be just stuck out there. But that wasn't the case at all. His movement was still terrific. And I mean, Gabi truly like that. It isn't just, just like the young. It's not just chaos. Like I, I know people are like, oh, he's just fighting and he's kicking everybody. And there's the idea of Gabi, but positionally, his sense is just tremendous. And because of his skill and technical ability on the ball, he doesn't put you at a disadvantage when he's playing in that final third. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you can talk about his his energy and counter-pressing. It's just ridiculous. He covers ground yeah. so insanely quickly. Whenever there's a dispossession, he is there immediately. Um, and obviously, he's aggressive enough that either he wins it back or gives a foul away, which is exactly what Xavi wants. So, yeah, it, it it is a role that really, really suits him. And he is very comfortable there um, with an overlapping Valde or Alba. Um, he is obviously going to have to score goals and create assists from that position, which he recently is doing. So, um, you know, the consistency of whether he can continue that over a season is the big debate of whether this is the future for, for him in that position or not. So, yeah, I think the biggest, the, the probably the guy who loses out the most is probably Pedri. And that's a shame for me because I've been championing him as a 10 or as a right interior for so long um, because of, you know, the adaptability he has in the positional sense and his his just chameleon-like ability to do whatever he needs to do in that moment. And he is taken quite quite far away from the, the penalty area, you know, when he has to play next to De Jong, unfortunately. That may come into, that may become an issue against quality teams against United. When you need, because you saw against Real Madrid when he was playing, you know, as the right interior, he was so integral to the control of the game, but also, um, you know, moving the ball into that zone, into Dembele. And it's it's a big loss not, not having him there, I think. He obviously can give a lot from a deep position. He helps control the game, and that's, that's super useful. But I'm a little bit biased in this one, because I have been saying it for so long that I want him as, you know, Barca's main creative presence in the final third alongside Dembele. But... That is an area of the pitch that gets significantly weaker without Pedri in it. Um, so that that is maybe my biggest concern about all of this. But, you know, like you said, the rest of the pieces fall into place very nicely. And it's not as if Pedri can't play that deeper role. He obviously can. And he's, you know, he's just one of the best players in the world, <laughs> let's be honest. I agree. I agree. I think, yeah, there's no much more to say about Pedri. Again. I'm going to run out of things to say about Pedri if we keep talking about him. So 
we're going to put a pin in that. And I think it's time to put a pin in this one. Julio, I do have a little bit of bad news. I, I think when it comes to YouTube, I feel like many of those who subscribe or follow me are already subscribed or follow to you. So I, I don't have too many more people I think to offer you. But that said, what are you working on right now? I think you already kind of let us know what's what's coming next. But yeah, some even beyond Barcelona, what are some of the, the ideas you have cooking up there on your YouTube channel over there at the, the Purist Football? Yeah, so in the media immediate future we've got the this Kessie video that uh, I mentioned we're going to do a United preview we'll have analyses for both the United games as well so full match analyses um, of both legs of the Europa League playoff game and then further into the future it's an interesting one I'll probably be working more on I'm quite interested in sort of football philosophy at the moment of why teams play the way they do you know Pep Guardiola's positional play what is the the, the fundamental idea behind it, how do coaches like Ancelotti and others veer so differently um, from that, and 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 it's it's something that is very interesting to me at the moment. So I may be doing. I, I did mention on Twitter that I might do a series on positional play. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but I will be delving deeper into the fundamentals of football philosophy. If that's interesting to, to anyone, mm. then come on over and uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully that'll be be fun to explore. Yeah, I mean, I think you might have a little bit of work to do for uh, at least Pep Guardiola's Man City moving forward if uh, if FFP actually does matter. I mean, that's the question we're really asking today. If, as as far as the news that just came down, whether or not will Man City actually be punished? Will will a team for the first time ever actually be punished for anything related to FFP? That's the real question. I you're, you're nodding your head no. no I, I feel like. Won't. <laughs> No, they will not. So <laughs> that's okay. But anyway, again, follow him on Twitter, on YouTube. That's all down in the show notes below. We're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Also on TikTok, close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. Also on Discord, the similar community, Patreon. And we're on YouTube as well at the Barcelona Podcast. Most importantly, though, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in the Barcelona.